Hi, my name is Vanessa Leck. I'm a licensed clinical social worker in the state of North Carolina. I'm also a military veteran. This topic, if you have ever experienced issues with the legal system, not been able to obtain the legal help that you need, had issues dealing with the legal system in any way, shape, or form to include licensed attorneys, especially in the state of North Carolina, let me tell you, this video is going to be for you. And you're going to be very interested in the topics in this video. So some of the topics I want to cover first and foremost would be right here, this legal case filed by the Institute for Justice, a not-for-profit public interest law firm that has filed a legal case in January 4th, 2024 in the state of North Carolina against North Carolina regarding UPL, unauthorized practice of law. And some may wonder, well, what's UPL? Well, just to be clear, this is not legal advice, professional advice of any kind. But basically what UPL is all about throughout the nation and in North Carolina is about, you have to be a licensed attorney to provide any kind of legal advice, information, help, um, representation, filing paperwork in court for on behalf of people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this lawsuit wants to challenge some of that. And there are similar legal actions taking place against various states in various states. South Carolina and New York are off the top of my head. They've had some active legal stuff going on about this, and it's still ongoing to some extent from what I hear. And there's different public interest, not-for-profit organ type organizations that are getting involved in trying to advocate for changing the law surrounding unauthorized practice of law. Because what it really does really limits everyone's ability to have choice, and it really is a legal monopoly, essentially on legal help essentially and on the legal system because depending on what state you're in if you're in one of these more oppressive states like north carolina it really is like a gatekeeper type system it's a bad situation to say the very least and so i'll get more into it i've talked about this at length before this kind of general topic in utah they have the most progressive system i've seen in the entire u.s they started around i want to say 2020 roughly and they have a legal sandbox that they implemented and that they extended, which basically means your atypical, non-traditional entities, businesses can now kind of throw their name in the hat, so to speak, in this legal sandbox and provide some type of legal service that otherwise would have previously been illegal. It's allowed for things like UPL, unauthorized practice of law not being enforced like it once was, and it's allowed for innovation in tech companies, technological innovation in the legal area that the technology exists, but it's not allowed to be utilized in these states because of things like unauthorized practice of law, limiting innovation and preventing it. Another example would be non-lawyer owned law firms, Utah, allows that in their legal sandbox. So you have non-lawyer owned law firms operating. Long call, they said they're the first non-lawyer owned law firm in the nation. They had that in my state, North Carolina. I'd 100% be a subscriber to it. It was like $9 a month for the subscription. And then there was like a flat rate fee for services. And it was based upon the attorney's experience or lack thereof practicing law. It just seems like a very efficient streamlined system, very, very transparent. They also in Utah have been able to help people that have criminal convictions that are eligible for expungement to help with that in a very uh, accessible, affordable kind of way. And previously, all those kinds of services were out of touch for a lot of people. And a lot of things I want to point out, because this article kind of does it in this website as well, is a lot of times when this conversation comes up, it's always in this conversation of like, oh, well, people that are, you know, 
and living in poverty, people that are, you know, quote unquote poor. But this issue affects everyone who's I think it affects all people. Because when you have any kind of monopoly, it's about decreasing choice and maintaining power and control. And that's not good for anybody, regardless of your economic or education situation, unless you're profiting off of it, of course. This situation reminds me a lot of the Realtor Association, as you may or may not be aware. In Kansas, again, there was a recent landmark lawsuit that was won. It's on appeal. The Realtor Association of Lawyers, attorneys have appealed it. But basically, it was about commissions and how real estate brokers in that case were earning their commissions and who was paying them. And there was dispute about all of that. It's a very complicated legal thing, but basically the end result that um, there'll likely be more options and more access in the real estate industry than there was previously. In many areas of the country, for example, in North Carolina, I used to be a licensed real estate broker. When I did want to have access to the MLS, which is basically where all the properties are and wanted to access homes to look at, I and anyone in that region of North Carolina would have had to pay, and it was like this in other parts of the country as well, really large fees to basically their like local realtor association. And like some of the fees, my understanding was how it was explained to me a number of years ago is would go to the local realtor association and the rest would go to like the higher up realtor association. I don't know how it is now. I know that like companies like Redfin, even before the decision was made in this lawsuit out in Kansas, had decided to get away from the Realtor Association, were able to, where and when possible across the country, stop being a member or affiliated with it and paying those dues. The point is, is what comes to unauthorized practice of law and the monopoly of law, I think about a lot with the Realtor Association and the recent lawsuit in Kansas and how that industry too was largely antiquated in my opinion and ripe for change in my opinion. A company like Redfin coming in, trying to change up the scene. I'm a pretty big fan of Redfin, by the way. I think they're very innovative and very good in a lot of ways. The legal industry is also ripe for change. But when you have people in positions of power with a lot of money that are able to have their friends like in North Carolina go or their colleagues or whatever they want to call them, go over to North Carolina state legislature and write up these little rules and laws that benefit each other and these licensed attorneys throughout North Carolina. And I'm sure it's like this in other states too. It really creates a form of oppression from the powers to be, from the governmental powers to be. It creates where a lot of people are being oppressed, whether they realize it or not. And then some people are able to line their pockets with the misery of others and the lack of legal options. I support 100 million percent the legal action that the Institute for Justice, this non-for-profit public interest law firm has taken in North Carolina. I really believe that they're going to be victorious. I really hope that they're going to be victorious. And I encourage you to check out the Institute for Justice, the website. Okay, North Carolina Legal Advice. North Carolina nonprofit and paralegal sue state over First Amendment right to give legal advice. The First Amendment's protection for free speech isn't limited to political advocacy or expressions of personal opinion. It extends to speech on all topics. That includes expert advice that people earn a living providing an area known as occupational speech. Indeed, for many Americans, this sort of expert advice is among the most valuable speech for helping people navigate the real problems they face in their everyday lives. And this again is from the Institute for Justice website that I'm reading from. It's right up in my head. It's the ticker scrolling. That's particularly true of legal advice, which um, co-founded the North Carolina Justice for All project in 2020. Uh, the mission is to expand access to legal advice for low-income North Carolinians. Again, though, this that's why I say when 
people talk about this issue. They talk a lot about low income and people in poverty. This issue also affects every income level. It really does. This lack of option. North Carolina's broad prohibition on the unauthorized practice of law, UPL, which gives licensed lawyers a monopoly on providing legal advice stands in its way. And in my opinion, this is, you know, when you deal with this type of issue, this has to deal a lot with employment protection, job protection, and a power, of course. That's why JFAP and two of its members have joined with the Institute for Justice to file a federal lawsuit to vindicate their right to provide both free and paid legal advice regarding court-created forms. America is in the midst of an access to justice crisis. Now, I'll tell you, the words access to justice crisis, God, it always kind of bothers me because this isn't just about, from my perspective, this isn't just about like access to justice. This is about ability to be empowered and solve everyday life problems and not have it dictated to a person how they're going to go about that. Being able to choose the options that are best for them in the least invasive possible. And currently our current system in North Carolina is extremely invasive and it's like this in a lot of states and extremely limiting in options to the point where it's not really a viable option for a lot of people, regardless of income status, to really solve their problems and uphold their legal rights because of the way the system is set up. For many Americans facing routine legal issues, whether they relate to divorce, child custody, evictions, or any number of problems that make up the bulk of state court doc civil dockets, hiring a lawyer to navigate these problems is simply unaffordable. And this is not limited to the poor. Okay, at least they brought it up, here we go. It is also a problem for the quote unquote missing middle, those who earn too much to qualify for legal assistance from groups like legal aid, but not enough to afford a lawyer. The inevitable result is that many Americans must navigate the legal system on their own. And so that's known as pro se litigation, self-representation essentially. And the problem with that in courtroom five, they have a podcast. I was on it a while back. They actually talk about just issues with how the legal system has a bias against those that represent themselves that are pro se litigants. And I 100% agree with that. I've dealt with that myself. Now, I grew up in Florida, and I'll tell you, North Carolina is the most oppressive, discriminatory state that I have ever dealt with. I mean, there is a good old boy system that is in the state that is pronounced. Women, yes, are a part of it at times as well and help facilitate it, but largely uh, benefits from what I've observed. A concentrated group of men is what I've observed that are either in politics or politically connected or well-connected or whatever. You know, in Florida, when I grew up, where I grew up, I never viewed the court system as being outright oppressive at all. I really had a high opinion of it, and I still do in a lot of ways. I still think it's a very pro se friendly state, comparatively speaking to other areas of the federal, the government, like the federal government civil service system is not, that's been my experience. North Carolina is definitely not, you know, there's a bias in a lot of the courts, depending upon what state you're in, what venue you're in, what judge you're dealing with, what attorneys you may or may not be dealing with against pro se self-represented litigants. And I can't tell you how many times, especially in North Carolina in dealing with the federal government, I've heard, go get a lawyer, go hire a lawyer, go consult with a lawyer, go consult, you know, go whatever. And it's like, there are times for people that bringing in a licensed attorney that you're signing a fee agreement with and paying all this money to you and the fee agreement, whether it be contingency or hourly, can end up causing for some individuals more problems 
than if they hadn't had to get that lawyer in the first place. And then because of attorney oversight being so weak in these states, i.e. North Carolina, God, good luck is all I can really say. Good luck and God help you. The way the laws are written to benefit these attorneys throughout much of the U.S. is truly frightening to me. And I've never seen anything like it. I can't imagine these same kinds of rules applying to healthcare providers. I, I, it would be terrifying if that were the case. Everything really needs to change because the current system just is not serving the people at all as a whole and the, ultimately the public interest. Responding to these concerns, many courts have created standardized forms with instruction packets for routine legal issues, but for lay people inexperienced with the law, these forms can still be intimidating or confusing, and that is 100% true. Okay, I am someone that's considered to not be, quote unquote, in, maybe inexperienced or, you know, these kinds of terms that are being used. And I could tell you right now, when I deal with any kind of government form, typically, I have to really slow down and really carefully read it because it is so easy to get tripped up in any kind of bureaucratic form, even a corporate form. And these government forms, like I've seen some of them, even like for family court, I mean, it is overwhelming, even for me looking at these forms. I mean, there is so much going on on these forms. It is a project to say the least. And certainly, you know, if there's some kind of software that people are able to use to kind of facilitate it, it can really streamline and make it super easy and much more approachable. For example, even North Carolina Secretary of State forms, like if you look at their forms without the software, because they have new software now they've implemented in the last number of years, it is like, whoa, what is even going on? Like, what, where do I even start with this thing? And it's so easy to mess up the form. But with the software, it's like, much easier in my experience to just go through it. Yes, these forums without software and without assistance are like bewildering. Even to me, they're bewildering. So I can only imagine how other people that have had zero contact with, bureau with bureaucracy and with the government maybe and with the courts must feel. In the lawsuit filed by the Institute for Justice here, they put in part it's like 23 pages and they link it below the complaint aka lawsuit they link it right there and i read through some of it in there i recall them saying something about illiteracy in north carolina and i know this to be true that's just like another whole nother layer of difficulty that you're dealing with complex bureaucracies that don't want to help you in north carolina and then you know, difficulty reading and writing. I mean, you're now in a really impossible situation. Now, fortunately, North Carolina has rolled out in certain counties and the plan is it's supposed to be all over the North Carolina state sooner than later, the e-court system. Oh my gosh, I love this. Now it's not perfect. And there's a lot of people with a lot of complaints about it. Specifically, I've noticed attorneys in North Carolina seem to be complaining a lot about it. <laughs> But I think it's just a godsend, I really do, for a lot of different reasons. And I'm sure it'll improve and get better over time. But some of the reasons I have such a high opinion of the e-court system is I remember not too terribly long ago try, trying to go to, and I even made a video about this um, a while back, but trying to go to courthouse and ask some really basic questions of where I was supposed to go. I think they call it the clerk court you know, basically this administrative office where it's supposed to help you. Like there was no help to be had, let me tell you. 
And instead of answering my really basic questions and trying to give me access to what I was asking for, they're like, oh, go get an attorney. And it's just like, what? Like, that's not helpful, you know? And there's this whole gatekeeping of the American, the North Carolina legal system. And it's really severe. And it's like this in other areas too, like I said, federal civil service system, in my experience. Now with the e-court system, don't have to deal with that gatekeeping as much in my observations experience. Like a person can literally go to the e-court system. You have to know what you're looking for, of course, because that's where it gets tricky. I find the advanced searches are more helpful. And there's a lot of different ways you can look up the information. You know, you'd have to go and check it out. But I've been able to pull up information that way that I never would have been able to access otherwise. And so if a person does have a pending legal matter now in North Carolina, they can go to the e-court system. They can fact check what they're being told by their attorney about when or if things are being filed, if they have an e-court system in their county, that is, because it's not in every county. They can see what's actually in those filings and read them and so on and so forth. So it's so amazing. It's so awesome. And also, you know, from my perspective, if there's an issue with the attorney, you know, and a client wants to fire their attorney and has the wherewithal and the know-how to be able to start filing things on their own, they can, you know, take over representation, at least in the interim, maybe until they can get another attorney or figure out what their next move is or whatever. And it really facilitates communication, direct communication with the court in a way that hasn't been seen before that I've never seen before since I've lived off and on North Carolina for years. That is very empowering for people that involved in the legal system and that may have attorney situations that are dicey. There was a case not too long ago. <sighs> Most of these cases are not public, but this one became public. A former client was talking about their experience with an attorney. I can't remember if the per attorney was suspended or disbarred in North Carolina. I can't recall. But what I do recall is that the attorney had been telling multiple clients that would later find out about each other after all was said and done, which was a very long timeline about their, that their XYZ documents, whatever legal filings were being filed. Well, <laughs> they weren't being filed, you know, and the work wasn't being done and all these different things. But the clients had no idea until after the fact that, you know, maybe a case, their case had gotten dismissed or some of their adverse outcome had taken place. And that was to best my knowledge before the e-court system was implemented. So had they had an e-court system, they would have had a fighting shot to go online and check out, is this actually being filed? Is this legal work actually being done? Is this actually happening? And so that's super empowering if there, you know, if you have an e-court system in your county in North Carolina, I encourage everyone to learn how to use it, to check it out. If a person has a literacy issue, it's just a whole different ball game. At that point, you're gonna be dependent upon another person to assist you with that. And that's just a whole nother matter altogether. So then it goes on talking about, you know, what many of these people could use is some simple advice. Um, unfortunately, America's broad prohibitions on the unauthorized practice of law make this advice hard to come by. State laws give licensed lawyers a monopoly on providing even basic legal advice. And as with all monopolies, the results are higher prices and fewer choices. Exactly. Exactly. I could not agree more. JFAP, the not-for-profit that they're referring to up here, which is this North Carolina Justice for All Project, JFAP, was organized to address these needs. The nonprofit advocacy group has lobbied for legislative changes in North Carolina that would improve access to justice by introducing a limited licensing system for paraprofessionals and by relaxing the current rules for nonprofit organizations 
on who can provide basic legal advice. But despite initial interest from some members of the legislature, the judiciary, and the state bar, their proposals eventually encountered significant obstacles within the judiciary and the bar before finally hitting a brick wall in the state Senate. But the rights of JFAP and North Carolinians it hopes to help don't turn on legislative grace and under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution, it shouldn't have to. The, these are the case details, FYI. I encourage everyone to go to the website. These are the people involved. These are the clients, the attorneys that are working for the public interest, not-for-profit law firm with this case are right here. The staff right here. And then it has a case video, which I encourage you guys all to check out share the complaint. There's a specific section in the complaint, aka lawsuit, that I want to share. It mentions what I was talking about earlier. In response to the justice gap, several states have enacted regulatory and legislative reforms, including limited licensing programs, regulatory sandboxes, which is Utah, liberalization of UPL on others practice of law, also Utah thing I've heard about, and alternative pathways to bar admission. So Oregon, I'd read, was trying to introduce something like that. I think some other states are have as well. Women and licensing programs, that Arizona thing. There's just such like, it's just so like the very tip of the iceberg what's happening right now with any of these changes. And it's definitely not anywhere close to where it should be with changes. Not yet, not yet. And so what I'm hoping happens in this lawsuit is obviously I want them to be victorious. I want them to be fast. But I also want it to, I'm hoping it will be the, I believe this is a landmark case, I believe. And I believe that once they're victorious, that it will hopefully spread across the rest of the US and will free people to be able to solve their everyday legal problems, regardless of socioeconomic status in, in whatever way that they see fit that's best for them and their families. And that's what I'm sincerely hoping for. Says that JFAB has spent the last three years advocating for non-lawyers to offer limited legal services. And basically a lot of the people, you know, based upon even the stats in this lawsuit, but also just nationwide that I see online that are really suffering the most, it seems like, and the largest group of people are people involved in family court. That's a lot, a lot right there. And so divorce, custody issues, etc. There's a huge need in family court for things to change and access to the legal help that they need is they were basically saying, you know, these are my words, not theirs in the lawsuit in this couple paragraphs about how they went to the state legislature and they basically got nowhere, which is why they're there now filing this lawsuit with the Institute for Justice. And they tried to get the help that they needed to kind of move things forward and weren't able to. It says JFAP proactively contacted, basically I'm spelling it out, these acronyms, some of them, the North Carolina State Bar to see if they could contribute to the new committee. And this is, I'm pretty sure, referring to the Access to Justice Committee. It says, after months of silence, a North Carolina State Bar representative told JFAP that they would not take part in the Access to Justice Committee. Okay, so that right there, just that silence, I just feel like that's part of the status quo. And that's part of the MO out here in North Carolina when you know you're dealing with everyday people because these are everyday people trying to lobby for change trying to give go about facilitating facilitating change i too have can relate to that i i mean I, they're talking about this committee that i'm going to be a part of and, and to be clear i have not requested me a part of any committee or anything like that but what i have done is i have and i've always been to some extent you know civically engaged right like i vote but i also contact my elected leaders about issues i care about and different things like that 
But out here, you know, I had lobbied through a number of years now leading up to this at the North Carolina State Legislature and even try to communicate with the North Carolina State Bar is such a laughing matter. I can relate to the sentiment of silence and of, you know, my words not there is basically getting nowhere essentially and just basically feeling very shut out and ultimately very marginalized because that's what happens when you are trying to facilitate change and lobby change and do something that's really positive and and you're communicating with the powers to be and all they do is ignore you and continue with their colleagues to make rules that are beneficial for each other but not the public interest even though they say it is for the public interest that is in a form of marginalization so this is something i can relate to and to be clear those are my words not theirs but when i look at this and they talk about you the know, silence that they face i i can relate to that i can relate to that um being ignored right and how that feels yeah after months of silence that's the direct quote after months of silence a north carolina state bar representative told them that they would not take part in access of, to justice committee so yeah i mean silence that's just you know i think it says all you need to say right there so then over several committee meetings north carolina state bar representatives articulated that they would not pursue initiatives that require legislative approval and so basically what that means is like you know, I'm just going to say in my words, essentially, it looks like, you know, they're hoping for changes. And in order to make really meaningful, big changes, that does require changes in the law. But they, they found out that, that there was no intent to pursue that at all. And I've actually looked at the legislative history on the state bar about what's been passed since the law and what's not. And I'm just, I'm just going to tell you this right here, okay? And do your own research. But like from my review in the last many years i don't see any laws being passed that are benefiting the public interest over at the north carolina state bar i see it is laws being passed that are benefiting they're self-serving that are benefiting the state bar or uh, licensed attorneys across north carolina is a large part I did hear in on one of the youtube videos of the state bar produced i think it was a live stream of one of their many many meetings that they're going to try to pursue some kind of new rule in the ethics about trying to make something i guess illegal because of what they were seeing review of things with certain attorneys and certain firms doing certain things that allegedly they shouldn't be doing um, i don't know if that ever passed but outside of that i looked and i recall seeing a law that <laughs> was introduced several years ago about again fact checked okay everything I say, but a law is saying something about that they get like gas mileage, I think it was, <laughs> to go to it from committee meetings. They'd be clear, I don't care if they get gas mileage. Like, I don't care. I don't care if they, if they want to buy themselves a sandwich. Like, I don't care. <laughs> but what I do care about is the fact that I don't see any action protecting the public or making the state bar more transparent. Like, for example, in the state of Florida, the Florida State Bar is super transparent. The Florida State Bar, they don't play. It's total 180 of the North Carolina State Bar. Those records are public. The complaints against all attorneys, regardless of outcome, are public. The evidence submitted, documents related to those complaints, grievances, whatever you want to call them, are public in Florida. They are so transparent that they don't even, from what I've observed, because I was just reading this recently, blur out, redact, 
names of people involved that are alleged victims or confirmed victims of licensed attorneys in Florida. I remember, I just feel like really bad for some of these people because, you know, I was reading this one in recent history about a situation where a person, I'm just gonna be kind of vague, a person and a couple of their family members, their names are in this thing that got into basically a bad situation with a licensed attorney. And the attorney was, their license was suspended. And then the people that were the former client and their couple of their family members are like named in this full name. So that whenever someone Googles that name, this all this just this awfulness is going to just come up. And I'm just like, wow. So I think that's important to like protect victims and redact names and stuff of, that are like alleged or confirmed to be victims of abuse from licensed attorneys with these state bars. But at the same time, it's really important to have transparency so you can also see what's going on and come to your own conclusions and not have to rely upon the powers to be to create some narrative, make all the decisions and that we're all just supposed to just blindly trust. I've learned the hard way thanks to the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and the civil service system, that is not a good idea at all. And then also in recent history, the North Carolina state legislature that introduced a law that if attorneys that had complaints, grievances at the state bar against them that weren't substantiated by the state bar and their super secretive investigation process, that the state bar would have to like pay, my understanding of it, the law was there would have to pay back the legal expenses for their attorney's fees Fortunately, that did not pass, thank God. However, they all like that in Arizona. So it's become, that state bar has become a total toothless paper tiger, in my opinion. Then there was another piece of the law that did pass, and it was basically something to affect of how attorneys would be able to get another shot, essentially, I guess, to like communicate to one of, there's so many committees of the state bar, it's, it's bewildering to me. It's like total government, you know, 50 million committees. Attorneys that were in some kind of trouble could potentially in certain situations talk to like the powers to be in some kind of committee at the North Carolina State Bar to try to basically get out of the trouble that they're in. My words, not the the words in the law, that was kind of my understanding of it. That did pass. Again, is that in the public's interest? Is that the public's best interest? You know what I mean? Like I see, you know, I don't see legislation that really focused on the public best interest coming out. And so that's why I'm so excited to see what the Institute for Justice is doing here. So then it goes on to say, because significant forms would ultimately require amendments to North Carolina's UPL on authors' practice of law statutes and regulations, JFAP refocused its advocacy efforts towards the state legislature. Then it says in February 2023, following months of North Carolina State Bar inaction, surprise, surprise, JFAP submitted a limited licensing proposal, 2023 proposal, to the North Carolina General Assembly. The 2023 proposal recommended number one liberalizing upl for those providing free legal services and number two creating limited licenses for legal professionals in in areas of high legal need and so to date neither of jfap's proposals have led to any regulatory reform so that doesn't surprise me at all that was the complaint it's a little tidbit of that 23 pages quite long i did not read every single thing on my own but that was something that really stood out to me now this is the case video this is on their YouTube channel. I encourage you to check out out Institute for Justice has their own YouTube channel. It's very good. They, they have got some really savvy, techie people doing all of the things.